And Ruth the Moabitess, I've already messed it up, said unto Naomi, Let me go now to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And he said to her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now, that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou now not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art (laughs) athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou, shouldest not, uh, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime, Come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat, and she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her uh, parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until even, and beat out that she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she had suffi- was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today, and where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought and said, the man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. Thank you, men. You may be seated this morning. We're shifting gears now. 
and the story of Ruth in our fifth installment, we have spoke of tragedy. We've spoke of loss. We've spoke of destitution. We have spoke of bitterness. We have spoke of Naomi turning back towards Bethlehem. And there's so many types and shadows in the book of Ruth. It's just beautiful of the types and the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ and Israel in the church. Naomi being a type of Israel who was embittered against the Lord but was turning back. Ruth, a type of the church who was not part of the commonwealth of Israel but has become to be engrafted in now into the history of God through Israel, which was separated from God. There's so many beautiful types and, and shadows that are, are, are glorious. None more beautiful than the picture of the kinsman redeemer, Boaz, the restorer of life, the restorer of dreams, the healing brought. Uh, there were no kinsman redeemers in Moab. A kinsman redeemer in uh, Levitical law, there were three qualifications that a kinsman redeemer had to have. And that was that they were the closest living relative. They were financially able to take upon the responsibility, the debt, the land, and to compensate for what had been lost or what was unavailable. And they had to be willing. And Jesus Christ, our closest living relative, the one that was dead and now is alive forevermore, able, able to pay the debt, not with the blood of bulls and goats but, or with silver and gold, but we were redeemed with the precious blood of the Son of God. Redeemed, purchased back, willing, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. The kinsman redeemer stepping on the scene was a type of Jesus and there's so many little small things. So this message is not going to be just um, trying to move you. I want you just to catch like... Uh, snapshots like a flash camera of all the different ways that in the same way Boaz was to Ruth and Naomi, Christ is to us. And there are some things in this story that Boaz probably said to her. The scripture does not record it, but if you look between the lines, there has to be some romance before a man marries a woman. There has to be some... Uh, musings of business before he agrees to take on someone's land and debt. And I just want to submit to you that if these were thought processes, it's like this, everything that's written was recorded or everything that was written happened, but not everything that happened was recorded. So see if this would fit and look at how the type would be beautiful. Some of the things that I can hear the kinsman redeemer say. I can hear him say to Ruth, if you're taking notes, number one, there's more to you. There's more to you. And I can hear Jesus saying to us, there's more to you. There's more to you than what you came from. Ruth came from a pagan land. See, some of us were born into a situation we didn't have any choice over. We didn't have any say. We're identified by how we were brought up and what side of town we were brought up in and what culture we were brought up in. Some of us were brought up in godless, godless societies. Others of us were brought up in very lewd, sexual environments. Others were brought up in uh, drug-saturated and, and alcohol-saturated environments. And I believe the Redeemer, looking at Ruth, 
wanted her to know that there's more to you than what you come out of. She'd already made the turn, but isn't it funny how we make the turn and come out of what we once were? We still have lingering um, residual things, how we feel about ourselves. Some of you know your sins are forgiven, but you're identified by them to this day. You still see yourself as the adulterer. You still see yourself as the abuser. You still see yourself as the one that turned away from God. And although you did those things, you are not those things. And I hear the Redeemer probably putting his, I can see it with my eye, him putting her face in his hands. He goes, there's more to you than that. Don't keep referring back to that. Because see, when God gets ready to write over your life a new chapter, he's not looking to make sure that you brought all the pages from the other chapter with you. There's more to you than who you once were. She probably was an idolater with them. See, she didn't have a say being born in Moab, but she had a say in staying. We did some stupid stuff. Once we were aware that we were wrong, we still did it. But he probably had conversations with her and encouraged her in her faith and said, you know, there's more to you than what you once did. Not just where you lived, but what you did. Oh, for the freedom to take the forgiveness of God as it was given and see that as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed my transgressions from me. I am not that. I did that. I am not that. And the sun has scrubbed me free from the memory of my sin. He'll not bring it back to mind. People say, God forgot it. No, he didn't. God knows everything. How can God forget something? If he forgot something, then he didn't know everything. What it means is, I will remember, I will not remember. Like if you cut your finger off, you'd remember it. You'd put it back together. He said, I'm not going to bring it back up again. I've chosen to treat you, watch, how I view you, not how you view yourself. I've chosen to be, oh, Ruth. See, the healing of Ruth was not when she saw herself clearly. It's when she saw herself through Boaz's eyes. And we need to see ourselves through the Redeemer's eyes. There's more to you than what you've lost. Oh, when you bury your spouse, she buried her father-in-law. She buried her brother-in-law. There are people in this room just like me. But you buried something a long time ago. And you really struggle getting past it. I can't relate to people that have never hurt. I can't relate to people that have never wept their self to sleep months at a time. I can't relate to people who have not had something torn from their life that left a crater so big that time has never filled it back up. I can't relate to them. They have an optimism that is, that is uh, it bothers me because it's not tempered with loss. And you know what the Redeemer wants to tell us? He doesn't want to tell us to pull ourselves up by the bootstrap and get on with it. That's not what it is. He wants to say, there's more to you than what you lost. There's more to you than what you buried. See, I got to be able to say I lost something so that I can be healed from what I know I lost. 
There's more to you. Listen. There's more to you than who walked out. There are divorced people in this room. There are abandoned children in this room that are now grown, but they're still children. There are people in their 20s and 30s whose daddy died too young and their mother died too young. They were buried and others walked away and they still are defined, still troubled, still traumatized, rightly so, by those that walked away. Don't tell me that them walking away is not supposed to affect me. They pledged their love. They birthed us. They rocked us to sleep. They held us in their lap and said, Daddy will never leave. And Daddy left. I believe Boaz was part of the powerful voice that said, There's more to you than who left you. Because see, on the road to Bethlehem, she only had two people left in her life. Ruth was turning her back on everyone in her former life. Family that did not acknowledge Jehovah, gone. She, she walked out to pursue her life of faith. And all she had was bitter Naomi, which I'd swap her for two round draft picks in the next round, and Orpah. And Orpah, at the first encouragement about going back, it's going to be a long time before you're married, Orpah. You need to just go back home and go back to your gods. And she said, okay. I don't think that was as small a deal as we read over it. I think Ruth was saying, I have two people in my life and I just lost one of them. There's a message about a decade ago that I listened to called Nothing Just Happens. It wasn't the best message that I've ever heard. But it was the most applicable message I've ever heard. And I'll bet you I've listened to that sermon 50 times in my life. 50 plus hours. And in that message he said, If people can walk away from you, let them walk. That is not arrogance. That's not saying you don't fight for your spouse. That's not saying you don't hold on. Listen to me. You can't make nobody love you. You can't make nobody like you. And if people can walk away from you, let them walk. Why? Because what God wants to do in your life is not tied to anybody that will leave. Now when they walk away, does it diminish you? Yes. Does it hurt you? Yes. Does it tear you down? Yes. But you're not looking for someone. See, i got to have them to realize what God wants for me. Boaz is saying, I don't care who left you, girl. Your Redeemer's here. Your Redeemer's. And see, I, I, like, I like to have the idea that God builds my life on top of what I lost instead of erasing it like it never happened. That's magic. I don't need magic. I need power. I need power that can let you limp with glory. And Jacob got to the end of his life leaning, the Bible said, worshiping on his staff, which means I got a couple of little injuries along the way, but I'm still good. Stop trying to talk people into loving you. Stop trying to talk people into liking you. Do you like me? I like you. Check here. We did that in middle school and we do it now. I, I'll keep calling you if you'll like me. Do you like me? I like you. If it takes all that, let them go. 
let them go. The Bible said that they were not a part of us because had they been a part of us, Jesus was talking about the core of believers. Most assuredly, they would have stayed with us. And the evidence that they were not a part of us is that they walked away. I want everybody to like me. Do you? I, I, I want everybody to like me. But I'm not spending my life waiting on them to like me. I've got a life to live where I am in my Redeemer. <laughs> my Redeemer's letting me know there's more to you than who walked away. I look at my wife and I did not ask her, but she's allowed me to share this before. And I think of the man that walked down on her and her two sisters. First of all, what a fool. Secondly, what a loss for him. What a loss for him. And I've watched her come into womanhood with a limp. And what he did or didn't do has affected. Okay, watch. But not limited. Not hindered. Because every revelation she has of Jesus as her Redeemer, she just gets better and stronger and more capable. I married a strong woman. Independent. I told her, I said, I like it. She graduated degrees. She's summa cum laude. I'm thank you, laude. Just glad to be in school. And I don't know who this is for, but you are still defined by who walked away. Their loss. Because God created you. Oh, and this, oh, I'm so glad I remembered to tell you this. And sometimes we're trying to get people to stay who God only wrote them in for a chapter. Don't get mad at them. You're mad at them. Told me they was my friend. They were your friend for the chapter. Didn't I tell you last week that God's writing a new? And if you got the same people, why you go to the same restaurant, sit in the same booth, eating the same meal, try something new. God said, how can I give you a new when you're holding on to everything old? If people can walk away from you, let them walk. I hit something then, didn't I? Okay, all right. Y'all are quiet today. We got a small crowd today. I was trying to figure out what I preached on last week. Everybody left, but they'll come back next week. So. <laughs> There's more to you than what others say, Ruth. Oh, I can imagine them walking through the fields as he started to let his intentions be known. Guys can't hide it. Girls are cool. You can walk with girls, for, you know, go walk in the neighborhood for months and you can't tell. Guys get this stupid look about them and they can tell, girls can tell they like them and everything else. And I can imagine him walking with her and then stammering through, you know, guys, we didn't have game when we had game. And when you as old as Boaz, game was gone. But I can imagine him starting to, instead of trying to woo her as cool, some cool daddy in his 20s, I believe he said things that her soul craved to hear. And I believe he said something like this. He said, there's more to you than what they say. What do you mean? They keep saying, Ruth the Moabitess. They keep calling you by yesterday. They keep calling you by what your mom and daddy did. Because that's why you lived in Moab. But Ruth, you chose to leave me. Ruth, you're different than what everybody else says. And oh, the change that's wrought in the heart of the believer when Jesus says something different than we've heard all our life. You ain't never going to amount to anything. And Jesus said, you are going to be on display in eternity with crowns of approval. 
had a lady tell me one time, she said, uh, well, a gentleman told me, he said, I wouldn't walk across the street to hear you preach. Bless you. Have a good day. And in other times, like this morning, I'm standing up here with my head cold, my limitation, and I'm just feeling the pleasure of the Lord while I'm talking to you. That's my boy. That's my boy. There's more to you. The Lord would say to us, there's more to you than what other people say. There's more to you than what you see. Oh, Ruth, you may not be bound by your history, but you don't see your future. There's more to you than what they say. There's more to you than what they think. There's more to you than what you see. Ruth, there's more, there's more, there's more. And oh, if we would just close our eyes to all we know and open our ears to all he says. That right there is worth the price of admission. Oh, that we would close our eyes to all we know and open our ears to all he says because the Redeemer's words have power in them. Number two. I can hear the Redeemer say there's more to this. There's more to this. And if she's like the average woman, she'd say, unpack that. What do you mean? Let's sit down and talk about this. What do you mean this? This. That. Moab. The journey. Naomi. The dead husband. The dead brother-in-law. The dead father. Because see, had they not died, you'd have stayed there. And because they died and you were left without options, you are now willing to do what you were unwilling to do for a long time. And you were willing to stay there for 10 years. And now with Naomi's bitterness, Naomi's ready to go back home And for some reason now, not only is Naomi going back home, but Ruth, I had to get you from Moab to Bethlehem. So I took erring Israelites and I used their weakness, allowed their choices, had them come to meet you. Push the button of attraction. Oh, God doesn't do that. The Bible said the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever he wants to turn it. Just wherever he wants to. We're free moral agents wherever he wants to. So are we free moral agents? Yes, it's both. Well, how can you have both? I don't know. He just turns it and lets you think it's your idea, I guess. I don't know. So, but Ruth, there was no way to get you to there. So I took their rebellion, brought them in here, knowing good and well that this boy, Malon and Killian, their names meant sickly, piney. Disease. What if your mom named you disease? He's like, he ain't going to last long. <laughs> right out the womb. Mm. Well, ladies, what would you do? Like, guys, how you doing? My name's puny. <laughs> Piney. <laughs> dying. My name's dying. Well, hello, dying. You know, I don't know. But watch how it's connected. When, when, they, when Ruth and Boaz were talking, he would have to say, what are the odds of this man taking his sons down here, meeting you, you liking him, because there's a world of difference between Malan, Killian, and Boaz. Why would you like this guy and, and like this guy? But I had, to get, I had to get you from there to here, and there's more to this than what you see. Everything's connected. Every sorrow, every loss, every success, You see some order in it when it works, but God allowing free moral agency, knowing the choices that people are going to take, 
maneuvers the evil choices, maneuvers the good choices to accomplish his purposes. And Boaz would say, there's more, there's more to this. It's all connected. My house that I purchased on 3597 Overlook Avenue had to be the bus stop. So the first night I woke up, or the first morning at 6 o'clock in the morning with 25 kids in my driveway screaming, and I'm running there, what are y'all doing? It's the bus stop, dude. What do you mean bus stop? And so on, then you've got to be a good Christian. So I go get all the Pop-Tarts out of the cabinet and feed all the kids. And See, I had to have the bus stop so I could meet the boy. And I had to meet the boy so I could start the church. And I had to start the church so he would be the first person converted on the first Sunday to confirm to me that I was in God's will. And I had to be at the bus stop so the boy could get saved so that I could start the, or start the church so the boy could get saved so that he could later become my son So I had to, and you look back over your life and you went, I could have swore it was chaos, but it's all connected. It's all connected. It may not look like it, but nothing's been wasted. It may not look like it, but everything is right on schedule. If there's one thing I could impart to you this morning, impart, reaffirm for myself is this. You remember the verse when it speaks of Jesus Christ being born of the virgin? It said, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because we have received the adoption of sons, God has sent forth his spirit into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. And we missed the first part. But when the fullness of time had come, that's King James for right on time. In heaven, okay, in heaven, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, where's the Son? In the belly of a virgin, it's as if, and I'm not being irreverent, but I, I, have, to, I have to see it. Okay. Contraction. Contraction all during the labor. The innkeeper told them no. They're in the manger, or, or they're in the stable in the feeding trough, they have to put the bread of life in the feeding trough, uh, trough, not where animals eat, but where people will eat later. It has to all be connected. Five, four, three, two, one. Push, Mary. And when the fullness of time had come, she was, he was born. Right on schedule. Ruth, you keep talking about the decades you lost. You're right on schedule. See, it takes faith. It takes faith not to have answers and believe that God orchestrates everything according to His will, according to His pleasure. My precious babies, Isabel, Olivia, and now Elisha. Elisha, if if Isabel and Olivia are a car stereo, Elisha is the 73 Buick Electra with six amps, subwoofers, the glass breaking out the back. He just is loud all the time. Even when he's happy. Happy loud? Sad loud. I like happy loud better. But he just talks. And if Kelly walks by him, ah! like Kelly, he saw you. He saw you. He saw you. Okay. So according to my body clock at 52 years old, those in your 50s can relate I'm off schedule. 
Because you need to be in your 20s when you like loud music, everything loud, headphones, earplugs, everything loud, everything. I'm like, shh, 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 shh. Everybody, shh, shh, shh. And Kelly said, they're not loud. I said, oh, yeah, they're loud. Look, everybody's loud in here. <laughs> and God's saying, your babies in your home are right on schedule. What would, how would your perspective change if you stopped trying to make it fit to what you planned and what you wanted? You, those of you that are spirit-filled believers that follow after the Lord, you let the Lord choose for you. You're going to get engaged on the day you're supposed to be engaged. You're going to be married the day you're supposed to be married. Some of you are going to find out just weeks into your marriage that you're pregnant. You're going to say, no, I'm not. And the doctor's going to say, well, come on back when you think you are. I can, I can show you something in his word. I don't have time to unpack it. But even our sin he uses to keep us on schedule. Watch. Jonah gets the command to go to Nineveh to preach. He said, I ain't going to do it. He leaves, goes down to the, uh, the port city, takes a, a ship. Where, would he, where was he going to? Joppa or Tarshish? He was supposed to go to Nineveh. He wasn't going. Tarshish. Okay. So he gets on the ship and he's going... And these pagan sailors, they have a spirituality about them, but it's not a godly spirituality. They said, somebody's God's mad at them. <laughs> so they're burning candles and, you know, casting lots and throwing chicken blood and everything, trying to figure out. Jonah's asleep in the, in, uh, the boat, and then they realize he's asleep. And they said, you better come up here and call on your God. we got to figure out what's wrong. Jonah's like, I'm the problem. <laughs> so it's... <laughs> Just throw me overboard and the storm will stop. No, we'll row harder. And Jonah's like, God will outlive y'all. He ain't, he ain't playing. Stop. So they try to row and then they realize they're going to die. And so they're like, Jonah, it's been real. But <laughs> they did. One, two. Okay. So is Jonah out of the will of God? Isn't he out of the will of God? Okay. Watch. And no sooner than he hits the water in this vast sea. Right there, right then, a fish large enough to swallow him, designed differently enough to sustain him, not one, not two, but, okay. Fast forward a couple thousand years. Jesus said, and as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for... So must the Son of Man be buried and brought back to life. Planning on a visual that the Son of God was going to give the Israelites, the Lord is orchestrating a fool's journey away and said, the fish is about to belch him up on land. Nope, you've got to wait three days. Why three days? Because that's the type. And it's on schedule. And he threw up Jonah right when he was supposed to. So that Jesus could say, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so must the Son of Man be buried and be risen again. For those of you that are following the Lord, and there's no open sin in your life that's unconfessed, you're right on schedule. You're right on schedule. Well, I can't see what's happening. Well, that's a whole different sermon. But you're right on schedule. Don't be the child that says, 
Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there? I'm going to kill you. <laughs> we'll be there. Thank you. Okay. Just thought I'd throw that in there. He was telling Ruth, there's more to this. I just got a feeling that there's more to this than you just coming back with Naomi. There's more to me. I believe Boaz told her that, not in arrogance, but in confidence. I know you just met me, Ruth, but I'm not just a one. I'm the one. I'm your kinsman redeemer. I'm not just a redeemer. I'm your redeemer. I'm not just meeting an obligation. I'm fulfilling a desire. The kinsman redeemer would not only take upon their financial burdens and obligations. He would come in and be a husband to keep the seed of the family going because he was a relative. And what Boaz was telling her is, this isn't about me just fulfilling an obligation. Watch. I want to be your husband. And I can hear the Lord saying to us, I'm not just meeting your need for sin. I want to redeem you. I want to live with you, house you, and you house me. There's more to me. Our problem is not our problem. Our problem is that we see our problem clearer than we do our Redeemer. Because once, you know, here's an earthly man with limitation. But his financial capacity was greater than her need, so it healed her. His power to bring her into his family gave her a new name. His power as a landowner and an esteemed member of the community and her nearest kinsman gave her a new identity. It gave her a new address. It gave her a new life. It kept the, the thing going. Boaz would say, and it's not arrogant, you, you don't even know me yet. I am not only a redeemer, I'm your redeemer. And I love you. He was old enough to be her father. She would not be naturally drawn to him in the flesh. There must have been something here spiritual that was hidden to the eyes of man. Somehow, Ruth knew that this was greater than her story. This was a type of your story. What would Jesus see in us? What would Jesus want with us? A Moabite woman was a turnoff to an Israelite. And why would, why would she want him? Do you remember when you had no interest at all whatsoever in God until he wooed you? Do you remember? No interest. But there was more to the situation because there was more to the person. And I'm not just meeting an obligation. I'm fulfilling a desire. And I'm not just doing this for you, but for the whole world. See, when God reconciles us, it's not just for us, but he's reconciling the world unto himself. Boaz was a type of, Boaz was a type of the Redeemer redeeming anyone from another land. Bringing them in. Number four. We'll be done in just a moment here. I can hear the kinsman redeemer say, there's more to life. There's more to life than what you've known up to this time, Ruth. There's more to life than what you've experienced and what you've watched other people experience. 
Exposure. Oh, exposure to God opens our eyes to see that the eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of men the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. But God reveals them unto us by his spirit. If we would stop limiting ourselves by what we've seen, what we've heard, and what other people have had. There's more to life than what you can plan for, work towards, and accomplish. It's not only what we do, but why we do it. And who we get to do it with that makes life purposeful and pleasurable. Let me just read these. I need you to focus with me. I, I know I've took a while this morning, but just stay with me right here. Look deeper into what this Redeemer offered in your story. He offered her permanency. So deeper than just the physical need. It wasn't about Ruth getting some grain. He said, Boaz said to her, Don't go anywhere else to any other field. Don't go anywhere else or in any other field. Can you hear the Lord saying this? Don't go anywhere else. I've got you. You don't need to look outside the walls of my, your heart where I abide. I'm it for you. Boaz said, this field right here will meet every one of your needs. He offered her protection. He said, I've commanded the other young men not to touch you. Do you see how the Lord says, uh, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him to deliver them. Ruth, your days of worrying about being abused are over. If you're in my field, you're under my command and my watch. And I've commanded these young men. So what did he say? Guys, would y'all consider being sweet to Ruth? You know, just like let her feel like she belongs. He went over to his workers those that have been with him for decades and those that have been with him for days. You touch her, I'll kill you. You harm her, you speak cruel to her, and I'll banish you from this place. Don't test me. And I hear the Lord saying, I took these stripes for you. Ain't nothing getting to you that don't come through me. I'm, he offered her protection. He offered her access. He said, when you're thirsty, you drink from my wells, from my water. He offered her understanding. He said, I know all you've done for Naomi since the death of her husband. And I know that you have left your father and mother to live here among strangers. Just that. Do you remember when you heard the Lord say to you, I know. I know all you've been through. I know all you've done. I know all you've lost. I know all you've buried. I know all that's walked out. I know you. And to know that my Redeemer knows me, I don't have to fill him in on the details. One of the beautiful things about intimacy and marriage, intimacy, and people always think sexual. That's not what intimacy is. Intimacy really means like into me see. That Kelly knows my secrets. She knows my wounds. She knows my fears. She knows my uh, sense of humor. Parts of it. <laughs> and that the Lord knows me. Do you know the verse where it says that the very hairs of your head are numbered? So now watch. We brush it. And how many fall out a day? Those of y'all that Google everything. A couple thousand fall out a day. And you grow four back or whatever. Us guys. For him to say they're all numbered doesn't mean that he knows how many are on our head. It means he knows the numbers of the one that fell out. So what is he saying? I said, I'm current with you. So when I go in my prayer closet, I don't have to update him. I hear the Redeemer saying, I know you. He understands me. 
He understands my downsitting and my uprising. He knows my thoughts are far off before I think them. He is intimately acquainted with me. And having known me this well, he's still with me. Boaz spoke blessings over her. May the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you've done. Now look at this. Boaz brought... I didn't want to... I don't know the right word for this. He brought... uh, Taste. Um, when, I go, when I go eat something, I want something that tastes like something. Just every now and then, you know, would you like to dip your chicken in the, you know, the battery acid sauce? You go, can you dilute it just a little bit? And just give me like half battery acid, half, you know, buffalo sauce? Sure. And you bite into a sandwich, you go, ah. Would you like jalapenos on your salad? Yeah. Watch this. I I know you think I'm just being funny, but watch. It said at mealtime, Boaz called to her and he said, come over here and help yourself to this food and dip your bread in this sour wine. Here's a woman that's happy to pick up little pieces of oats and grain and eat it. And Boaz says, taste this. I've never tasted anything like that before. That's nothing. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I've never known joy like I've never known peace like this. Oh, God, I've tasted this before, but this, what I tasted in the Redeemer's tent, far surpasses This ain't about filling you up. This isn't golden corral, eat till you pass out. This is about, may I be very personal with you? This is about the Sunday when you come in and Ben hasn't even started and your hands go up and the Lord's feeding you things that you can't even put your mind around and the tears flow down your face and you say, I love you with my whole heart. Take me home. I'm ready to go. Oh, God, whatever it is, I just tasted. He said, that's just a taste of what awaits you. Hey, Ruth, not only are you going to eat under this tent, try this. And I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but God has some things he wants you to taste. Ben, if you'd come this morning. Boaz gave her rest. It said she sat with the harvesters. He gave her prepared blessings. Look in your Bible, verse 14. It said, Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. Now, I'm not a cook, but this wasn't the grain from the field. If it's roasted, it means what? It was prepared. Did you know that there are prepared blessings for you that your Redeemer has made specifically for you? Don't tell me he was spontaneous and said, oh, bring Ruth over here. When he made this meal, he had her on his mind. Prepared blessings. Boaz let her eat until she was satisfied. It said she ate all she wanted. And he introduced her to abundance. It said in verse 14c that she had some left over. So what was this day encounter about? Boaz was opening her heart up to the possibility of a brand new way of living. 
There's more to you, Ruth. There's more to this, Ruth. There's more to me, Ruth. And there's more to come. And what's to come, if I told it all to you right now, you probably would be too afraid to walk into it. You know what I feel like I heard the Lord saying to me? How can I articulate to you? This is how I feel. How can I tell you what heaven's going to be like? There will be no sorrow, no crying, nor pain for the former things have passed away. And when God says this phrase, it's going to be like a pulse of glory goes all the way backward, all the way forward. And he said, I make everything new. And it's never again, no possibility to sin. How can you say that? Because if I sinned, I would be cast away and I shall never leave the temple of God. The potential, the opportunity to sin, gone, forever seared out of us. No, not we'll never be sorrowful. I believe Boaz was saying, Ruth, that was just a bite of bread. That, that ain't nothing. No, but this was good. You'll see. Oh, I hear it in my spirit. You'll see. You'll see. I can't wait for my little girls and my little boy to get a little older and I get to drive them to places and go fish. Oh, I'll talk about it all the time with going fishing. You going to come work at the church with daddy? I don't know who I'm going to have to let go, but I'm going to have to bring them in and let somebody else go. Bring them in. I, I, I can't wait till they see the love that Kelly and I have and the plans we have for them in a limited capacity. But God's is unlimited. There's more ahead of you. Ruth had no idea when meeting Boaz all there was to him. Ruth had no idea upon meeting him that he would rewrite her story on the ashes of her past. Ruth had no idea upon meeting Boaz how deeply he was moved concerning her. And he had no idea upon meeting him that his blood would triumph over her blood. Stay with me. I got three minutes. I'll be done. A Moabitess aren't even allowed to come near the temple. Listen to this verse. Wherefore, remember that you in times past were Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by them which were the circumcision. And that at that time you were without Christ. You were without Christ. You were without being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this present world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. What does that mean? His blood triumphed over my blood. Ruth, you're not a Moabitess. You're my wife. And when he accepted her, who she was finished... And now she became partners. She became an Israelite because his blood spoke louder than her blood because he was her redeemer.